Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Episode number 230. What is it, Katie? 234. 234? Yeah. So we've already... We've done 234, actually more, because we haven't posted them all yet. Yeah. Remember when it was, no, you don't, because you weren't here the whole time. (laughs) When did you roll in? I'm, you know, I don't know. I've been here for like a year now. Oh, man. That's got to be at least dozens and dozens of podcasts. Yeah. Well, this is 234, according to Katie Levine, who seems to know the score about everything uh, podcast related. We have a bunch of fun stuff coming up. We are doing a day, a Nerdist tent at Outside Lands on August 11th. Outside Lands is kind of the sister festival to Bonnaroo, uh, and it's in Northern California, and it's that weekend, the uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And so we're going to do a Nerdist day, so it's going to be tons of shows. We're doing uh, uh, stand-up shows. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is doing a show. Uh, Justin Wilman's doing a bunch of magic stuff. I'm doing stand-up with a bunch of great people. Uh, so go get tickets to Outside Lands. Just Google Outside Lands. And they're selling day tickets now, too. They are selling day tickets. You know a lot. Yeah, because I think you're doing it on like, Saturday. You know way more than I do about it. So. I know all that Outside Lands. <laughs> do you, is, have you been? Yeah, it's fun. Oh, that's awesome. It's that, the lineup's amazing. It's like like Jack White's going to be there, yeah. Regina Spector. I mean, it's like, it's like West Coast Bonnaroo, basically. Yeah. So uh, go check that out. Also, October 12th, we are going to be appearing in New York City at the Best Buy Center for Performance Stuff. That's an approximation of the name of that venue. It's during New York Comic Con. We'll also be doing a ton of stuff there. And just ongoing, different cons. I think we're going to hit Dragon Con. Not doing performance, but just to go. Maybe shoot some stuff there. Because uh, I've always wanted to go to Dragon Con. So we, we, we got a bunch of fun stuff brewing at Nerdist Industries. I'd like to thank Stamps.com for this episode. Uh, they have sponsored it. You know, guys, there's too many what-ifs when you go to the post office. What if there's traffic? What if it's closed when you get there? What if it's overtaken by robots and they won't let humans in anymore because they think they're better than we are? Well, now you don't have to worry about that. With Stamps.com, you can do anything you can do at the post office, but you can just do it from the convenience of your desk, of your home. You buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. You get the exact postage for any letter or package whenever you need it, so you're not wasting postage. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes because the internet never closes. That would suck if the internet closed, Katie. You, like, you probably don't remember the early days of television. They would be like, signing off for a day of programming. That would suck if it would, signing off for a day of interneting, and then you just color bars on your screen. That would be horrible. You, do, you wouldn't remember that. No. You don't remember that? Like when they used to just 
there would be no more TV? Yeah. No, no. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you pack your things and leave. You can always watch something. How dare something. you be born after a certain year and not be conscious of things that happened before you were born? Damn it. Right now, there's a promo code NERDIST. You get a special offer, a no-risk trial, $110 worth of stuff, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. Stamps.com. Enter NERDIST. This episode is Michael McDonald, the comedy actor, not Michael McDonald, the singer. They are entirely different human beings. Uh, Michael McDonald, I took improv classes from at the Groundlings, like eight in the 1990s, Katie. Uh, and you probably know him best as uh, from from Mad TV. Uh, he played the character. He, he did Stuart on Mad TV, which people loved. I mean, a lot of great characters. Michael's Michael is a world class, brilliant improviser and sketch guy. And now he's a director. And now he's doing a bunch of stand up. You can actually see him perform stand up in Los Angeles at the Roxy on Tuesday, July 31st. Um, so make sure and follow him at McDonald Comedy on Twitter. Uh, it's just MC. It's not MAC. He's a. It's it's McDonald, not MacDonald. And uh, and that's it. But really great catching up with him. He's a super super sweet guy and and mind blowingly funny. If you ever get a chance to see him. So here it is, Nerds Podcast episode number two thirty four with Michael McDonald. Now entering Nerdist.com. <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. Just get you in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, feel like, it makes you go real down. It makes down. you feel like we're actually and we can just We can talk like this. Yeah. Normally, we wouldn't be able very to talk. Radio. Yeah, very radio. <laughs> very NPR. It's uh, 95 degrees out here. Oh, it's not NPR anymore. We, just, okay. we got book chat coming up. Oh, I love uh, book chat. Also, wait, wait, don't tell me. What would be your, what would be your weird NPR name? What? They, My, always, they always have odd names. I think it would be like Sarah I, Vowell. I think I would just flip my name and be Sarah like, Vowell? be like uh, Hard Chriswick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. What would I you? like how the voice is on that. Shit. You have to have. <laughs> that's the book with a bookworm or whatever. He's got a yeah. voice like a bookworm. It's, <laughs> it's like they took they. It's like someone took the classic morning DJ guy, and then just uh, put him into some. Polar opposite universe, yes. and then everything that he wasn't was the NPR people. Have you listened to Rodney on the Rock recently? Rodney on the Rock, yeah. Hey oh, no, I've like, heard he's that. He's on from like three to three, six in yeah, the morning. In the morning uh, yeah. It's like Monday morning. He's in a really bad time spot. But he's got like he mumbles a lot now, and he's yeah. kind of got mush mouth. You can now, really hear oh, it. I used to love Rodney. On Rodney's yeah. amazing. When when I worked at K Rock, Rodney's. I, my when locker, did you work? Uh, I was there ninety five to ninety eight. Are you from here? Um, no, but I, I I graduated high school. My family moved out here in high school, and I went to college oh, so here. So then, I've, yeah. I've been here forever. K Rock was. I grew up in Orange County. Oh, you did. So okay, it was the thing yeah. Rodney. Of I think more people in Orange County listen to K Rock than up in L A. Probably yeah. strong signal. Strong <laughs> signal. Strong signal. Social distortion real big in Orange County. <laughs> Take a yeah. They came from there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. SD. SD. They, they can play like a week of shows and just pay for the rest of their year. They could just do a week of shows at House of Blues in Orange County. Yes. And then they would be good. They're good. <laughs> at Downtown pay. Disney? Yeah. That's where they do it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So my locker was next to Rodney's and he just had these old picture, like just personal pictures of 
Oh, there he is in studio with John Lennon just hanging out. And there's uh, Rodney and, and Elvis. He was so huge. That's like, did you see the documentary about him? No. It's Mayor of Sunset Strip. It's just this, like, how, like, he was the guy, the tastemaker of Los Angeles and rock and roll in the States in general, and how he is now. Yeah. Which is just like, he's that guy with the weird hair, you know, with a little record crate going to, like, you know, uh, <laughs> like Rhino and then Amoeba yeah. and then back. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He was a sweet guy. He really did. Yeah. Like, so much of the music that broke in the 80s. And then, yeah. like, he was, that was him. They, he, yeah. he was the guy that brought all this Tears right? That was, uh, he broke that. Did he break right? Tears for Fears? Yeah. I think, I think he was one of the ones who got behind X in the early yes. years. Yes, yeah. Oh, he had, he, well, X. he clearly has a thing for female singers. It's yeah. like, I, I listened to it the other night on the way home from a, a shoot, and it was just all girl rock and roll bands. I worked with somebody not long ago who issued the proclamation that he hates female voices <laughs> it's, it's in music. <laughs> I, I was like, really? All? F- that's... That's a whole lot of. That's a lot of wow. music. That's 50, Which ones? Fifty percent. All of them. All um, yeah. Yeah. All I, of them. I uh, like uh, like my girlfriend. She doesn't really like uh, female singers too much either, and like I find that weird. I like love uh, females. I yeah, love I actually kind of get a kick I out of it. I almost prefer yeah. it sometimes. Well, most of the time. Well, because you like Regina Spector. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Among others. Among like, other yeah. ladies. You just like Regina Spector. I do. That's it. That's Jenny all I love. Lewis. Uh, Michael McDonald, I, I'm sure. I'm yes, sh- of Harper. course, I'm sure you remember our first time we worked together at the Groundling Theater. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. Okay, that was it. Thanks for li- tuning wow. in. Oh, it's so great, Monica, to get that oh, information to him. That, that was my my, <laughs> that was my limited nice having, yeah? my limited training. My uh, of course, when I was a a younger comedy nerd, I you know the Groundlings was like you got to go to Groundlings every weekend and see the shows. And you know when I was first. Toying with this is like in college, toying with stand up and going going to see sketch and trying to figure out like where where do I want to fall in the comedy world, improv sketch and stand up. And I was always more of a stand up guy. But then I worked with Karen Mariyama mm-hmm. uh, on a show in the nineties. What and was it? It was a show called Guys Like Us. It was a UP, you know you you know the UPN network guys that Remember big that, that big network that uh, was around for a year. And so Karen brought me in to do a uh, one of the cooking with gas shows. Which was an all-improv show on Thursday nights. It's been running at the Groundlings for over 20 years. Yes. And they typically would have a guest come in and sort of, n- not like ASCAT, but just more kind of be, like, Im- improvise with the cast. Yeah, like, it, it's a mix of generally current Groundlings, maybe some alumni, and then uh, maybe a, a friend. From yes. Who, is from the comedy world, but not necessarily an improviser or, or at least not a groundling. Yes. Right. And then so Karen said, in order to, you know, if you, I said, well, I want to practice before I come do it. And so you guys had a, I think it was a Wednesday morning class that was a sort of, sort of a pay as you go. And it was for people who were in between levels that were waiting to get into, waiting for spots to open in some of the upper levels. Uh-huh. And so it was just a, you could just go and, and work out kind of a class. Right. And uh, doing several of those classes, and Karen taught some, and you taught a lot of them, actually. I that's where I realized, like, I'm I'm really more of a stand-up guy than I am a like a, a classic uh, improv guy. What? Well, why? You you you're, what, it sounds like it sounds like what you're saying is you didn't do well in your classes with with me or Karen. Well, it's I I, I let me put it this way, and I'm pretty. I feel like I'm a pretty fair. I'm a pretty fair assessment of my performance. I was able to keep up and tread some water, but my biggest mistake, which you rightfully called me out on a lot of times, was trying to 
I guess it's a stand-up thing, take control of the scene and put jokes in it oh, yeah. rather than just servicing the scene and giving information for other people to build off on. Yeah, yeah stand-up is kind of a one-man band thing, and yeah. improv is kind of a... a a many man band. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But a you band, were, if you will. You were a great band. Yeah. You were a great teacher, though, because you you immediately would always you 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 didn't you weren't like oh that was really maybe just you were like that was a joke you know that was a joke <laughs> so don't don't do that and and it really made me aware of you know like what the what what I was doing wrong. But I think in general, if I had really loved the long form improv format, I I would have tri- stuck with it. I just I just preferred stand up. Yeah, I, I think most of the stand-ups I know don't really like uh, the process of improv that much at all. Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and and most of the stand-ups I know make fun of improv. It's kind of odd. Yeah. I, when I took uh, when I took improv classes, I uh, I liked it a lot. To, it helped my stand-up because it kind of helps you um, structure uh, ideas and bits in your head. Like the kind of the the back and forth that you have uh, with improv is a, a good way to kind of like bounce ideas off in your own head. In yeah, stand-up. you started in stand up, right? No, I started in improv, and I'm, I've kind of my career is going in the wrong. I guess the wrong <laughs> you're, you're doing a lot of stand up now. I'm doing a lot of stand up, and I'm actually touring with uh, a feature a guy who's opening for me, and he's he's a real stand up stand up, and he was kind of uh, yeah, what's this improv thing? And now he's I got him taking classes at the ground. Nice. Well, I listen, think he finds it sort of just loosens you up at least to the concept of like. Uh, uh, letting accidents happen and, and, and it's not a disaster because I think sometimes with stand-up it feels like you gotta Control. put a lid on everything. Yeah. Well, not only that, but 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 really good improv teaches you how to listen right. and 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 do and and be a little unselfish and service the scene right. more. And uh, I, I, but I think um, some some people just sort of think, oh. I'm pretty quick on my feet. I could probably do improv. I'm like, well, you could probably play some improv games. Like, you could play freeze. <laughs> but to actually do a scene that's worth anything, you kind of, like, there are... It's it, When I f- took, like, first-level improv and I thought I was pretty quick on my feet kind of guy, it was, it, it was totally analog- analogous to... I speak English. I don't really know the rules of the English language <laughs> right. in the sense of structure. And so when you start learning the structure, you're like, whoa, wait, what? And then you think about it and you it's like you have to you have to unlearn everything so you can relearn it. Exactly. And then and then throw it all away. Because ultimately <laughs> yeah. in improv you kinda have to not think at all and just Roll with it. It's sort of weird. Like, learn all this stuff, nail it down, now throw it away, and have fun. <laughs> I think like, yeah, art, art is that way, too, sometimes, where it's like, you know, you have to be able to make a still-life drawing to then just break it down and make something really simplistic, and then, you know, it's it looks better than if someone who just knew how to do it simplistically yeah, would do it. I think it. you're right. How, was, was improv, was that sort of a thing, like, kind of sketch an improv right out of the gate when you were a kid that you kind of knew, like, I'm, I'm, I definitely have this comedy gene? No, I was, uh, I mean, I, my family was funny, and I always liked funny people, and I liked to make people laugh, but I was a loan officer in a bank out of college. What? Yeah. Which is a hilarious profession. Yes, I think the fun. Has anyone ever shouted that out during an new profession? You're a loan officer at a bank. No, probably. I'm sure, probably. <laughs> Usually, though, the, the favorites are proctologist and, yeah. Yeah, sure. and yeah, whore. Yeah, proctologist, whore. Uh, your uh, process of giving birth. Uh, yes. Of course. Anything that deals with the the belt line. <laughs> but yeah, I was a loan officer in a bank, and I went to actually a friend of mine from business school said, "Hey, I'm going to be an actress, and I'm taking, I'm I'm not going to be in business, and I'm throwing away my business 
degree and I'm going to this place called the Growling Theater that's improv. And I was like, what the, what's that? It sounds like a terrible idea. She goes, come see this show. And I went and saw a show with uh, Lisa Kudrow and uh, Julia Sweeney, Kathy Griffin, a bun bunch wow. of really funny people. Yeah. And uh, I went, oh, that's what I want to do. And I quit my job that Friday. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. Yeah. You didn't even put in the two weeks. No. <laughs> well, what he well, did was I, he I approved his own loan. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he quit. Yes. You can't. Uh, like, so what are the prices? 0% down loan for <laughs> so, $7 million. Let's say, oh, so you're a loan officer and you want to buy a house. What process do you have to go through to get your loan approved? Uh... I, same as anybody else. I mean, it, do you have to go to someone else to do it? It's not like I go to the my loan officers and go. You know, I was a loan officer 25 years ago. <laughs> so why don't we just why don't we just consider that a contract? Like, you know, I think you know the rules don't apply. I just I just think I meant at the time like if you, you like you would have to. Handshake. It was the worst job because really all you did was say no to people and uh, it was in the their only, most desperate hour of need. Yeah, pretty much. Like I had no power. It was the worst thing where they they wanted me to bring people in. And the only people they wanted to give money to were the people that already had it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I gave Mike Love a house. Really? Yeah. That was not how. What was that? What was that? It was what? crazy. I had to go to his house to get him to sign the papers, and like in the middle of you know, noon, in the middle of the day, and uh, you know, I rang the bell like five times, and there was a, a very beautiful Asian lady who answered the <laughs> the door in a, a robe, and um, <laughs> and then uh, she went to go get him and he sort of staggered out about 20 minutes later also in a, well he was in a kimono okay I like to sign all my contracts in a kimono <laughs> yeah. this is my signing kimono yeah. it's yeah. a cer ceremonial ritual well they're very ceremonial people yeah. but uh, he was very very nice but um, kind of crazy <laughs> I used uh, to drink the experience. tea from this side of the mug <laughs> and then this side I imagine that uh, they're probably they put a loan officer in position so that a bunch of desperate people can come in and sadly get rejected while behind a one-way glass billionaires are just jerking off yes. and just yeah. watching just watching people get rejected for be, to save be, their houses two-way mirror two-way yeah you don't want one-way glass and they can see well, i always no, got those one way's the other way oh but it's not yeah. a mirror so you it's just hidden or it's just like a okay well, glass. I suppose this doesn't matter. Continue. No, no, that no, was no, the no, most. No, that no, was that was the most really important part. Down, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of glass yeah. was it? Tempered glass. You would be horrible you know what at kind of day it is, right? Yeah. The weather outside. What are we talking here? Yeah. Is it this, like uh, muggy? It was frightful. Oh, no, I get the joke now. It was muggy. Uh, I get the joke. Uh, right. On Cougar Town, we uh, I write yeah. and direct on that. Sorry, used to anyway. And uh, this season, I'm just going to direct some because uh, I'm so busy doing things like this. Your podcast schedule. We do bits and stuff, and one of the room bits. That I would do is called the masturbating listener. So like, just have, like, just have like a have a normal conversation, and you know about any you know the weather, any just normal stuff with each other. Uh, so what time what time is your flight tomorrow? Well, I'm leaving at like eight oh nine a.m. I oh, think. I and uh, oh, what's, what's the name? What's, of, gotta, what's the name of the plane? It's, uh, with, uh, I think it's American Airlines. I'm flying uh, U.S. Airways at like. Have you flown before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I fly a lot. Uh, <laughs> really interesting. Just made just direct eye contact. Information, just mild it's, information. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the earnest look on your face that totally sells you. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Like, what, what kind of bag do you pack? Yeah. Just a carry on, just a typical carry on. Oh, keep going. Keep talking uh, about it. I'm almost there. Yeah, no, you know, bits in most room, bits are, room bits are the best bits because you, there's nowhere. It's so impossible to fit them into anything. Right. Yeah. And they don't translate. Like, I'm hoping they don't on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to do a visual hand job joke 
in a place where there's. I think it still works. I think it still works. They got it. I'm sure they'll understand. These are only smart people. It's not like this. Oh, here's a crazy bit I like to do. And then just silence. And then you just hear, huh? <laughs> the scraping of the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> but uh, you, you've done all sorts. I mean, you, you directed a lot at Groundlings, too. Did you? How, how quickly did you get through the, the, the track? No quicker than anybody else. It's know, like three or four years, years yeah. right? It's like practically like grad school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But everybody, I, I swear to God, like everybody I was with is really famous. It's crazy. <laughs> Like, it was this amazing four-year stretch of people that, like, uh, they either are a star of a show, films, or or writers, creators of shows, or something. I mean, it's it, mm, sick. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I can believe it now because I always thought they were really talented, but you also just figured nobody ever makes it in this business. We're all going to die right. poor. Yeah. yeah. And uh, everybody's doing really well. It's nice. Well, the Groundlings, um, in particular, you know, obviously was... The Groundlings were the feeder for uh, SNL, Mad TV for a long time, which you know, obviously, because you were on Mad TV. Yes. Um, and, and I auditioned for SNL. And what was your audition like? It was the hardest, worst, most embarrassing thing ever. Really? Yeah. Even people was, who get it say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it, I'm not blaming anybody else. Yeah. It's just you stand on the stage where the host, guest host, Studio 8H does. Yeah. You, you do it right to camera. You're all by yourself. Uh, you know, and I like... I, it was so embarrassing. I auditioned with Jimmy Fallon and Chris Parnell, who both got it, and, and I knew them both. Jimmy was a student of mine at the Groundlings. Okay. And then, uh, but like, I, you know, I had wigs and, and costumes and stuff, like trying to give them a sense of my character. And yeah. nobody else did. Like, they all just sort of <laughs> uh, described it, or, you know, most of them were stand ups and stuff. And, I, you know, so I'm walking with like a bag of wigs down, you know, 54th Street, uh-huh. you go to 30 Rock, or whatever. And, it just, it was a walk of death and shame for me, anyway. I didn't do very well. But I think the I, sadder thing is the walk back with the bag of wigs. I know. Yeah. <laughs> just like no. fucking throw them in the trash can. <laughs> Fuck you, wigs. No, the, the worst part is like when you're done and you have to just clean up everything. It's like the whore, yeah. you know, like, with, her, with, her, with the jizz in her panties. Like, oh, yeah. I'll just wash these yeah. out. Yeah. The There's 20 bucks on the nightstand. See you later. 20? Is wow. that allowed to say on the nerd? Yes, you can say whatever you want. All right. You can say whatever you want. We're a uh, family unfriendly podcast, uh, the <laughs> NSFW. Uh, but uh, I, I never, I never actually auditioned for SNL, but I auditioned for Mad a handful when? of times. Really? Um, just between uh, ninety, between probably ninety six to two thousand, maybe two thousand. Why was so between uh, dating shows? <laughs> so between dating shows, <laughs> it was around in between dating shows. Actually, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, and I think it was when Fax and Adam were still there. Well, yeah, Fax and Adam would have been there in ninety six. I kind of got there right as they were leaving. Yeah. And it was a ske- sketch auditions are the they just they're just weird. They're, they're just really weird because yeah. you're on you're you're dialed up to eleven and it's just like two to three people just going. Mm-hmm. What else? Great. What else yeah. Do you yeah. do any impressions or you know? And then yes. you just, you just kind of go in with these crazy monologues that you know within the first sentence or two if they're working, but you still got to fucking go yes. through the entire and then you and then everyone. Else, who's auditioning can hear everything you're saying. Yeah, because all sketch yeah. uh, characters are super loud. And so, exactly. <laughs> and so you just you, you just you just hear the loudest, most like, you know. Uh, I mean, it's 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 so heartbreaking to hear a sketch audition, especially one that's that's it's not that's not that great. Because so you know, yeah. if, some, yeah. if someone's doing like a big kind of Farley-esque character, like we're going down to the. 
and you're it's like, a, it's oh. like a special kind of bombing. It, yeah, <laughs> it's it, a soul bombing. Mm -hmm. It really is a soul and the thing bombing. Is, and there's like a beginning and an end to it. So it's like once you start, you're like, nah, I got to get through it. Just, yeah. I got to get to the end of it, or else I can all for naught. And sometimes they will. I've had I had sketch auditions before where they just kind of stop you a little ways in. Yeah. yeah. Like, and they go, we got it. And you're like, we didn't get but, but there's a really killer. <laughs> you, you, uh, wait for my turn. We, you we, we really enjoyed yeah. it. And that's even worse when they, they try and get you to stop with praise. No, no, no. I enjoyed that very much. Thank you. But you'll probably enjoy some more, right? Uh, you know what I love best? Well, I'll just I finish then. I love that you have something else. Do you like this character <laughs> where I'm begging you to let me fucking finish my sketch? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that one was was bad, and uh, there there were. Cause MTV it, made me audition like eight times. Are you serious? Yeah, and it was to the point where I, when they said, "All right, we'd just like you to come back for one more time," I was like, "I'm not auditioning." And then <laughs> and then they gave it to me after that. that uh, <laughs> after you said no. no. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I didn't say no right away. It wasn't like I was such, such hot shit. It was after two you're months. Exhausted. Like, how can I go? What more do you need to see? If yeah. you had said no the third time, they would have given it to you then. I'm uh, <laughs> yeah. right. Fuck you know up. what? From now on, I'm going to walk into studios and networks, and before anyone even asks me anything, I'm going to say no. Uh, gotta go. Oh, here's, but you, here's a show. Uh, here, they take this contract and this big novelty check. All right, but only to please you. <laughs> I guess. Was uh, did did you did you enjoy your time at Mad, or was it, it? Did you feel like did you get to do everything you wanted to do? Did they kind of leave you alone, or did you feel like well, there was a pretty. It was uh, it was really enjoyable. I mean, it was a dream of a dream job in that uh, I did it for ten years, and certainly after a couple of years, they really let me do not whatever I wanted, but they gave me a lot of say. I got to write anything I wanted to, yeah. and direct a lot, and um, and and I met some really talented, cool people, and I mean, some of them are my best friends, you know. So. Yeah. It got, I was ready to go after ten years and happy to leave the wigs and the glue and stuff, but. Uh, it was really fun while I, while it lasted. And you carried the wigs out again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it never ends. Yeah. It's true. I got, Going and, down well, Santa Monica Boulevard. The, the, uh, the, probably the character I've done the most is this little boy character, Stuart. Stuart and yeah. That wig, I used. It was the same wig I used at the Groundlings, and it was, of course, we were all dirt poor. So I went and got a secondhand wig at a thrift store for fifty cents. Oh my god! And that was the wig. And then when I brought it to the to Mad TV, the hair and makeup people were like, you know, so. Uh, we'll we'll get a wig for you. No, this is the wig, and they were appalled. Like it's not, even, it's not even human hair. It's like something horrible. It's not like, even human right. hair. And I just like I I have to. It was you know like superstition. It was like Frosty the Snowman. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I have to wear it, otherwise it won't come to life. <laughs> My voice gets even higher wig. when I put the wig on. Yeah. It ain't broke. It ain't broke. They'll fix it. Yeah. But a fifty cent wig for ten years. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I remember seeing Stuart at the Groundlings. Yeah, yeah. And it. I mean, just. Fucking leveling the place. Uh, do you at a certain point? Is there any party that's like, oh, am I really going to have to do this character again? Or was it? Were you still able to kind of keep it fresh and fun every time? Uh, the Groundlings, uh, you know, was I don't whatever. I did three or four of them, but uh, at Mad TV, when you do like thirty of them, and by the, by the end of it, it was. I would have to negotiate as part of coming. If I if they wanted me back, I would say, all right, but I will only do four or five oh. Stewart. Like, it had to be part of the negotiation sure. just because they uh, they just like to, you know, TV's a machine. They they want to 
um, kind of churn out product. It's like sausages or something. So yeah. They like something or they think something works. They'll just run it into the ground. Right. And uh, I, for me, I had to I had to put a limit on it. And uh, you know, but I, hey, it got me a house, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. That's good. And, and the fifty cent wig is in that house. <laughs> it is. Do you still have it? You still have it in a little glass it's, case. It's in a glass case in my entryway. <laughs> <laughs> you gaze upon it, if you will. <laughs> no, it's probably in a. It's probably already eaten through by moths in some <laughs> bag. Uh, it's. Uh, I, I always. I always wonder. I mean, because this the sort of the parallel with stand up is I have this bit I've been doing for a long time, or like if someone has a, if like a band has a hit song, like we're really gonna play yeah. this fucking song. Because you you have that back and forth where you go, I really want to. Maybe it's the same thing with sketch where you go, no, I really want to try new stuff, but then that part of you that is. Sort of a comedy whore, sort of like, yeah. but I know this is gonna kill. I, I love that you're saying this because literally, when I do Stuart in my stand-up, yeah, I the words comedy whore are attached <laughs> to the whole bit. I swear to God. In your set list too. In your set list, it doesn't even say Stuart. It just says like a bit about shopping, comedy whore, comedy whore. <laughs> bit about my parents. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. Well, it's just that the you know the dynamics, especially of a stand-up set, are that. You know, if you can kind of pull people in with something that they recognize, then they're it makes the situation a little more amenable to uh, here's some you know here's some newer stuff that you're probably a little more open minded to now. Yeah, because you're kind of on my side because you recognize this bit. Well, I kind of feel like there's a certain number of people that if they go to one of my shows, they're thinking, oh, Mike McDonald, I know the guy from Mad TV. Oh, I'd, I I want to feel do you know his character or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of feel a little obligated to give it, but. Um, but it's it's uh, I, I sort of work it into a context of what it what it's done to my personal life, <laughs> and um, and so you know you can turn it into something else, which is better because uh, we were talking about this recently, the young comedian special that Dana Carvey hosts, yeah, um, yeah. and then like he goes out on stage uh, and just goes into like. Church lady, Garth, uh, tornado like, talent. Yeah, just thing. like goes into every character, and everyone's going ah, and he's like, "All right, let's start the show." As the yeah. host of the show, that is exactly what he should have done. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Rather yeah. than fuck that, I'm going to work on some. I'm going to workshop yeah, yeah, some material. To George Benny Bush, launched into yeah. his clean slate character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's clean like, slate. Opportunity knocks. When it's opportunity knocks, very good. Tough guys. He goes into his, and of course, the master of disguise. Well, that kills wow. turtle, turtle, turtle every time. Have you guys ever met Dana? Uh, no, no actually, I have never nice met him. Oh, I've heard nothing about great yeah. things. Yeah, yep. he seems lovely, and he's a guy that I think just sort of backed off the whole entertainment business so he could, you know, be with his kids. Well, he had a big health issue. He had a big health yeah, issue as well. He's very public about it. Yeah, but uh, so I'm not, I'm not tipping anything. But uh, I, I think he's doing well now. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, he just did. Uh, he did the Tonight Show. Not like maybe. Three weeks well, ago. Well, he had a special from like what, like four years ago or something yeah. like that? Uh, squatting monkeys tell no lies or something like that. Well. <laughs> did, uh, did the transition from uh, improv and sketch to stand up was it? I, I imagine that's probably a little bit easier than going the reverse. Do you think? I don't, I don't know because <clears throat> I, ha I haven't done the other way, but uh, uh, the way it happened for me was I was sort of, I don't know, holding court and telling stories to. The cast, as we all, you know, entertain ourselves in between scenes or whatever. And uh, Bobby Lee, who is yep. a cast member, and he started out as a stand-up. And he said, you, uh, you, should, you should do stand-up. You should just do this. You know, just pretend 
like this is your act, you know that. And yeah. so I kind of uh, he he actually made it set it up. He called uh, this club in uh, the San Jose Improv and booked me for one night to do just a, you know a sort of a short show. And I basically just lined up all the stories that I'd been annoying him with, and <laughs> uh, it went well enough. And that sort of started off you like get four like years a bug, ago. you get like did it feel like you're like oh this is this is fun i can do this uh yeah it's it's scary it still to this day scares me way more than like i don't know you could say you're going to improvise in front of a hundred thousand people uh you have no script and you're going to work with oscar winners and we're filming it and i wouldn't be nervous as as nervous as i would you're going to go in a bar with 50 people <laughs> and it's just you and you have to entertain them where, know, it where, always scares me more. where does your head go to like when you're about to do an, imp an improv show like where does your head go does your mind just empty or it, do you do you just sort of feel that safety net of i've done this a million and a half times uh, there's no way to throw me it's all going to be fine and then just kind of go with it uh i think usually if i improvise i work with i work with at least there's one person i might know or something or maybe even a few and generally, yeah, I have zero, there's zero fear. It's the most fun I think I can think of. If that paid, that's what I would do for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and it's really about like, oh, you know, Tim Bagley, for instance. Oh, my God, Tim's great. One of the great. people I know. Um, you know, if, if Tim Bagley, if I'm up there with Tim Bagley or, or a, a, any number of a million other people, I, I'm not, not only am I not worried, I sort of feel like, all right, I'm just going to watch Tim and just enjoy Tim and I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll participate a little bit because he just makes me fucking laugh. Yeah. Did you ever work with anyone like any of the IO guys, like the Scott Adsits of the world, or the? I've never worked with Scott, but I've worked with um, um, Rich Tallarico, Bob Dassey, uh, 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 Stephanie Weir, mm -hmm. uh, who's married to Bob and was on Mad TV. Um, I haven't done that much over there, really. I'd love to do more. Oh, Ike Barinholtz mm -hmm. was from there, and and Josh. Uh, Myers, who are yeah. both uh, SNL or uh, Mad TV guys, because all the all the different camps kind of have slightly different approaches yeah. to stand up, and some seem to be a little more joke based, and some to be, seem to be a little more scene based, character based, or scene based. Yeah. yeah. So what what's the kind of underlying philosophy of Groundlings? Well, I would say that if if everyone was being really honest, that I think most of the other um, clubs, uh, maybe IO or Sex and City, I think they probably look down on the Groundlings a little bit as being base or like, you know, wacky or very big, broad characters. And okay. they're right that it's definitely, we're more character based. And then I think Sex and City and IO, they're a little bit more cerebral, a little bit um, smarter, and which is what cerebral means. <laughs> and, and, oh, I, I'm uh, sorry, I took Groundlings. I didn't know. Uh, uh, see, <laughs> I was saying it didn't I took Groundlings. I don't know what cerebral. <laughs> I, I took. Yeah, but I think there's probably that. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I, I never, I never took, you know, I never took classes from anywhere else at UCB, but I, I really loved Groundlings. I, I had, I had so much fun there, and I think just the thing, the, the, I, I don't know why in my mind I was like, it either has to be stand up or this. Uh, but if at the time in my in my younger frame of mind, if I had been smarter about it, I would have just kept taking classes at Groundlings because mm -hmm. it really was. I mean, it's you good know, training. It's amazing training because if if you can be comfortable on stage just using nothing but the moment, then there's nothing else that can throw you. No audition, no anything else, because right. it totally takes away your fear of like. I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking ruin everything with something that's gonna come out of my mouth that's gonna fuck everything up. Right. It, we, that just goes away. Yeah, that's true. Although I still, to this day, get absolutely terrified in an audition. Re really? They're bad. They're t auditions are 
artificial, shitty situations. Yeah, because you're never. Well, I don't know. It's uh, having I I shot a pilot or I wrote a pilot that got made, or, but not is not on the air uh, this past season. So I was on the other side of the room. Yeah, and I found myself falling all over the actors to make. Comfortable. Hi, thank you for coming. <laughs> yeah, you know, like wanting them to feel so uh, shitty on the other side too. It, yeah, because you and I realized now. I think it was the most helpful thing is I realized they want everyone to be good. Yeah, yeah. they they have a prop, not a problem. They have a need they want to fill, which yeah. is we need somebody for this part. We hope you're it, and if you're not it, we hope the next guy. We just want anybody, you know, to yeah. to be that person. And uh, I now know that I think I would I probably would walk into a room. Uh, with a little bit less absolute terror. <laughs> <laughs> Having been on the other side of the auditions, I know that there are like people come in and right away you want the you want to like them, and then they just start doing something, and then your mind you're like, oh, if you just did, oh, if you just, yeah. oh, you almost, oh, you almost yeah. had it. Yeah, I, I know. I have I've seen some actors come in and they do it. Um, they they sort of give you nothing. They're, they don't do the obsequious. You know, like, hello, I love everything and right. all of you. They just come in, great, we're doing a stand right here, great, and they do their bit, and, and then they walk out, and I sort of think, like, wow, that I'm impressed by them not needing to, you know, get you to like them. Yeah. That's, the needy, that, that's the needy thing. You, you know Jack Plotnick, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Jack, Jack has a fucking amazing whole philosophy on, you know, on... I think he's. I think he calls it like your your vulture, which is sort of the thing that just sort of chips away at you before you go in and tell. He's like just to, to ignore it, but yeah. Jack has this whole philosophy to auditioning, and it and it's it's pretty it's pretty great. Well, I, I did. I auditioned for the Drew Carey show, the pilot of the Drew Carey sure. show. It was like one of my first big auditions, and they were bringing us in. Oh, you'd make uh, a really good Ryan Styles. I was gonna say, was it for the Ryan Styles part? <laughs> it was for the. Uh, yeah, it was Ryan and um, and then the Diedrich other one was Diedrich Bader. Diedrich. Yeah. yeah. So the two buddies uh, and. I was going for the Ryan part, and then I had a very good-looking acting partner who was going to go for the Diedrich part. And I knew that he was actually one of my students at the Groundlings, and he was like this, you know, very, he was a funny guy, but also just an amazing-looking guy. And they were bringing us in as twos, and which I thought, oh, great, I'm going to feel, it's not like it's just you, this is so great. We walk in, and, and he had a broken arm because... Uh, he had had an accident the, like the day before, and I thought, wow. I mean, I would just wouldn't even audition with a pro <laughs> What the fuck? You're, you're blowing it, dude. We walk in, and everybody goes up to him, I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened to your arm? Oh, and they were giving him so much, like, uh, just sympathy and everything. And he's like, oh, I, I, I broke it in, in a car door. I'd shake your hand, but I broke my hand in the car door. And then I, I felt the need to like get in there and score, so I like jumped out from behind him because he was like a giant like bodybuildery type guy, <laughs> like from behind his pack, and I go and I'd shake your hand, but I think you're all dirty. <laughs> <laughs> in, in front of Drew Carey, in front of everybody, crickets, crickets, not one fucking laugh, oh, nothing, dead silence, and I just the sheen of sweat, oh, God. and and everything I said, they were just like. Mm-hmm. Oh fuck! Yeah, I, th- I thought uh, you know I I thought, just, you can't stuff it back in. I thought yeah. the tag of the story was going to be you saw him go out to his car and take off the cast. Yeah, and I really thought. Well, you know, there are I know a couple guys. I know a couple guys, and they and they book a lot. Like um, a couple guys I know, they're comedians, but like they do stuff where it's like they come and they go. Uh, do you mind if I audition without my shoes on? Or like they'll come in with like a weird hat. And like uh, it's like their whole philosophy is like they'll remember the guy with the hat or yeah. the guy that took uh, do his shoes off. Do you mind if I take a shit in the corner? Yeah, you might, yeah, you might <laughs> if I just jerk off while you watch me. You do, but I'm gonna do it anyway. You mind? <laughs> yeah. But I'll probably I'm probably gonna do it anyway. I still never. Yeah, I'm I'm still not comfortable with auditions, and and I was so 
it wasn't until I heard um, Steve Martin's Born Standing Up book where he basically said the exact same thing that I had felt for so many years where he just said, at a certain point, he just accepted the fact that this audition path was not going to be his path. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and, I, and then I kind of had to realize, like, oh, I guess you don't have to do it that way. There are other ways to get jobs other than just having to go in for producers and network. Right. You will just walk onto a lot and say no. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I learned today. I was uh, stooping around your uh, Wikipedia, and I noticed that, uh, and this could be fake because it's Wikipedia, but you no, weren't. I, a, I thought Wikipedia was all true. All true. Uh, I hope. I hope it is because you were in a lot. You had a lot of bit parts in like weird horror movies. Yes. Like Carnosaur Two. Yes. Leprechaun Two. Yes. Oh. Uh, and like, like, what was that experience? Were you? Did you Blood like Fist Four, Five, and Six? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, how did that happen? Because like it just seems like there was like a, just a huge run. They were uh, all from... Roger Corman movies. Oh, okay. Uh. And, uh, except for Leprechaun Two, yeah. but uh, uh, they, I, my my roommate out of college was a became a sort of producer at Roger Corman Studios, and I started as an extra there, and then I got my SAG card on a on a movie there, and then I I was writing, I was in the Groundlings, and I I didn't think I was going to be an actor. I thought I was going to be a writer director, and yeah. so. Uh, they gave, they paid me five hundred dollars to write a screenplay for a film. <laughs> and Roger Corman. And, oh, and man, never, I never had internet before the internet. Script, yeah. yeah, I'd never written a screenplay before, but it was you know. So sure enough, I did it, and I ended up writing a few of them, and they were always fucked up by the director. I thought, and uh, I kind of thought, well, maybe I can direct as poorly as that director. Who also, by the way, I'd never directed before. Like you know. I, and so it was. Uh, I said, I'll, "I want to direct the next one." And, and Roger said, uh, "All right, you may." Yeah, you get paid less. Yeah, truly, I wrote and directed my first movie, and I was paid five thousand dollars for all of it. That's insane! Wow. wow, but what a fucking crash course! It's like school, yeah. And you know, I, I had Phil Hartman in it, Lisa Kudrow, oh, Beverly D'Angelo, and Carol Kane. It was called "How Much Are These Children in the Window?" Oh wow. It was he, yeah, how that came about was Roger Corman, for those who don't know, is the king of the B-movies, and all he really does is rip off other genres and then do the low-budget version. And then sell them internationally for right. fuck tons of money. Right, yeah. and not pay the people who worked on them. Right. But uh, he said, I understand babysitter movies are doing very well. This was it after like Adventures in Babysitting <laughs> yeah. and yeah. something like that. Um, so if you can write a, a movie about a babysitter, I'll make it. And uh, I went ahead and did that. And he said, if you do a good job here for me now, you'll never have to work for me again. <laughs> <laughs> that's genius yeah. that he had that level of self-awareness. Yeah. That's crazy. My, How- uh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, honestly, my girlfriend worked for his son, Roger Corman Jr., who she, like, uh, like she hears stories about Roger Corman, and then she says, like, I wish I had that kind of experience. She worked for the Corman son? Corman Jr., like, this. You know, because like, when I was assistant. there, they were children. Yeah. And, oh, my God. Yeah, he, she, so like, many. he said, like, she would say, like, it's like, it was just the fucking, like, yeah, just nuts. Cheerleader Massacre 3. And she got, like, a, like it was, like, one of those things, like, we need people to fill up the scene. She's like... Well, I know these uh, comics. So she got like Kyle Kinane and uh, Erica Costa <laughs> and Matt Bronger in it, and like it just like it's like that. It was just like we need someone to do this, and it was like it was her job. She didn't know she was just an a- assistant. Just find people. Yeah, I had to paint a fence for Roger before I got <laughs> to, 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 to make you wax his car it too. Was, it was a giant lattice fence, and he lives in this giant house. And uh, I was on this rickety ladder. I mean, and he's a very rich man, but he's the cheapest man alive. And I think he'll. I mean. He'd admit it. And uh, and even if he wouldn't, I'll say it. What do I care? But uh, I was on this rickety ladder at his house painting this lattice work. And 
below me, I felt the ladder rattling, and it was his five-year-old daughter, um, <laughs> Mary, who's probably now like 30, but uh, she was shaking my ladder, and she was saying, play with me, play with me. Oh, <laughs> no. Painting, you know, almost falling and breaking my neck. Oh. And, and I realized I was not just uh, painting the fence. I was babysitting uh, a little girl. The parents were just gone. Oh, what? fuck. Just while just, I painted. Just... Oh, I was there. But they just didn't. The painter's here. Let's go. Yeah, the they, painter we've never met before. Yeah. This thirty-year-old man we've never met before. That's, that's like a great. Hey, that, that would be a great movie. Just like a weird, fucked-up kind of Ed Wood movie type of thing, where you're just like you're painting this guy's house and you're getting paid five hundred dollars to write and direct movies. Yes. It seems like a bunch of crazy stories would happen. Yeah, here's one of them. Uh, what? How was? Uh, I, I never actually got to see Phil Hartman live. Did you? Did you improvise with him? I or? did. I did. Uh, he. Um, he would. He was actually the guy who got me an audition at Saturday Night Live. Uh, ultimately, he was the kind of guy that um, did. Tr he tried to do favors for people that needed, you know, help. Like if he. If he could help you out in showbiz, he would try and do it. And he would come to the shows and um, got, he got, actually we did a benefit. It was Phil Hartman, John Lovitz, uh, Dennis Miller, and then I got to do it and some other, you know, peon got, we, we were the peons that got to do it. And uh, after the show, Phil said, hey, um, to John Lovitz, hey, John, you're still talking to Lauren. Me and Dennis don't really, we're not really that close. W will you help Mike get... Uh, an audition, and John Lovitz goes, ah, well, I don't know, is he any good? Because <laughs> <laughs> you just did a show with him. <laughs> and then Dennis Miller goes, well, are you so, you're still so competitive that you're you're competitive with somebody who's, you're not even on the show anymore, you don't have to worry about it, just help the kid out. <laughs> oh my God, the fucking, just, the, just that sliver of politics left over from. It was from... so great, they were like brothers that had grown up and <laughs> oh still acted like they were when they were eight years old. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I I wonder I every once in a while I kind of wonder like I where like where Phil would be now and if he would have just kind of retired or if he'd be no. on a hit show. He loved to perform. He loved to perform. I doubt he would retire. I think he would you know just want to people everybody would want to hire him. He'd probably just you know do really fun things and House I'm, sure been, <laughs> I'm sure he would have yeah. been. I'm sure he would have been in the Christopher Guest movies and things like oh, that. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, he was really 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 nice guy. He was, you know, there there are a handful of people on S, like like SNL, but there are just some like some of those anchor people where it's like, no matter what was going on in the scene, that one person was always gonna give their all, and and then and then sort of be the you were always gonna like that person even if you hated the sketch. Right? They always they were just sort of you know. It's Bill Hader now. Is it Bill? Yeah, I think so. I think he's really funny. Yeah, yeah he's great. Him, but I think yeah. he's really funny. Uh, he was Groundlings, right? No, I, I don't or was, think no, so. No, he's no. Second City, Los Angeles. Oh. Was he? Very yeah. funny guy. Really? Second yeah. City, LA? Yeah, remember because the, they used, used to be right next to the Improv. I remember the Improv Lab yeah, yeah. now, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a, he did his show there. That's how uh, that's how he was found. Are you doing uh, Are you doing a lot of local stand up? Or are you just touring? Uh, I've been touring. I, I I don't like to do improv. I mean, I don't like to do stand up in L A. Um, well, largely, I mean, you, the money's when you travel out of L A. Sure, yeah. but um, uh, I'm sort of finishing up the tour, and then I'm gonna do a show at the Roxy on the 31st, and that's kind of the almost the end of my tour. And awesome. uh, I'm excited about that because I, I I love that venue. I've never done you know it's not it's a rock venue. Yeah, yeah. but um, I thought it'd be fun to do that instead of just a comedy club. Yeah. Well, they are. I mean, yes. the The rock venues and the theaters are 
generally more fun than your than your comedy clubs and your comedy yeah. comedy clubs where you're just distracting people on stage so they can buy chicken wings. I, so you know, it's funny. I was in um, where was I? I was in the uh, Addison Texas Addison Improv. Improv. Yeah, it's good good club. Yeah, very good club. Very nice people, and the audiences were great. But I gotta say, like as I was waiting to go on, ne- standing next to a bus tub full of fetid standing water <laughs> I, I was like that smell and then I it, it instantly brought me back to when I waited tables for so many oh, years sure. you know in the early days and I thought after all this time I'm still just fucking working in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> and the Addison Improv too has that kind of weird V shape where yeah. you're saying on the stage there's like the right side of the room and then the V part that goes all the way back to the bar yeah it, it's a there's a couple of clubs like that and you just go what the hell and Addison Texas there's no is a completely non-residential part of Dallas. Well, so many comedy clubs are put in places that you go like, hey, I'm playing Dallas. You're like, not really. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing a business park. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a business park. Yeah. Addison is a business park hey, with a bunch yeah. of restaurants and a comedy club. Have you, have you been to the All-American Comedy Club yet? Uh, no. Oh, that's downtown, it's right? It's in Santa Monica. Oh, okay. I mean, pardon me, San Diego. And I'm doing that this weekend, but it's right. It's in downtown San Diego. That's right, yeah. And they... Uh, it's. I'm looking forward to it because it's actually in town and you can do things around there. Yeah, you know, you're not like walking. Well, we were just there for Comic Con, so yeah, we were just in San Diego home. like a week a week ago. How about the the parlor in uh, Seattle? Um, no, I haven't done the parlor. Or it's actually Bellevue, but the oh, sort of oh, oh, Bellevue. What you no? Yeah. Um, no, haven't haven't done that. Haven't done haven't done Bellevue. I've heard good things about that. And I'm going to do that next weekend. <laughs> There's a. You also probably like um, the. Uh, uh, Philadelphia and Portland, the helium. Helium. helium thank I've you. I've never yeah. done either. Helium I'm, is great. Helium is a. It's that's Portland. Portland and and, Phil- and Philadelphia, and it's just a really good. I I I did I did helium in Portland a handful of sets to get ready for my special and and it's they just they run a club really well. So oh, if, if you're lo- if you're looking for a venue that's in Portland, great to know. helium helium's a Ac- great great Acme venue. in Minneapolis. Acme in Minneapolis is great. The comedy works in Denver. Um, yeah, I went to I did the improv in Denver. And by the way, it's not Denver; it's Strickland. Sure, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's a business park, forty minutes yeah. outside yeah. of Denver, um, and it's it's right it's right in between a freeway off ramp and an abortion clinic. Oh, I'm not kidding! It was so depressing. Sorry, the magic that. pocket of couple comedy. couple of kinds of it's bombings like going you, uh, on over there. Am I right? You, guys? you abort the highway route or your baby, <laughs> Matt? Matt, oh sorry. Um, but three things. Uh, <laughs> three things. Boy, he hasn't spoken in. 20 minutes, and he's like, abortion, I'm in. Let's go. I know. It's, my, it's one of my, it's one of my go-to. words. Hey. <laughs> Matt Byron, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a survivor of abortion. That's I made it, you guys. One and a half go in, one comes out. I dodged so many coat hangers. You really did. <laughs> wow. wow. You. You're a survivor, Matt. You're a survivor. I'm a survivor. Uh, <laughs> do we have to pay for that? Uh, no, no, it's fine. So comedy works in comedy works in Denver is good because it's right downtown. It's right next to Larimer Square. There's a shit ton of stuff to do. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just and it's and it's some rooms just have good. It just have a good vibe. Low ceilings. And low ceilings. It feels like it's it's like you know like exposed rock on the wall. It's just it's just a nice it's a nice yeah. vibe. I think you dig it. I love the uh, the improv in Washington D.C. I'm going to do that in mm-hmm. August. Like ninth and tenth, uh, that's one of my favorite clubs. They it's really well run. If you ever are looking for that smart audiences, really, 
great room also in kind of uh, the downtown area you know I've heard great things about the DC improv I also because I, I did the Arlington draft house which is the movie theater that they, where they do where they do music and comedy shows Arlington, sometimes Virginia? In Arlington Virginia okay. yeah. yeah it's right across the river like it's like you go you go over the river and it's like three blocks in so it's still really oh, cool. uh, close uh, so the, those are all those are all those are all great clubs haven't done a ton a Laughing Skull in Atlanta is a really fun room, too, if you haven't done that. I have, I've done the Punchline in Atlanta, which I've, I've liked. Laughing Skull is small. It, it literally seats 75 people, so you do two shows a night. But there's just something about the vibe of the room that's phenomenal. Oh, that's cool. Everyone, you know, all, all the... Everyone I know that's done it, like the Todd Glasses of the world and the mayor... Like, everyone everyone loves that room. Is it, So is this... Do you... Where, where do you where do you want stand-up... To go, do you want to do like the hour special, or do you want do you want to well, do I the did theater? One, um, actually, in it's fact, Showtime, right? There you go. Oh. That's a gift for you. There's a DVD of my special, Michael McDonald model. Citizen. Michael McDonald model citizen with There's... a period because I'm both a model and a citizen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was the show. This was a Showtime special. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I missed. It. I'm usually so. Oh, Judy Judy Brown. Yeah, I know all these people. And Stu. Yeah, this is great. Well, now you, I have you it. You can just tell just by having it in your hand how good it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm a, I'm a huge comedy Feels nerd, funny. so I just like anything. Any, and I, I always feel, I always get excited in the way of like, I, how did I miss that? I have to see that now. Like, so this, this, this yeah. kind of stuff is very exciting to me. Let's watch it now. All right. <laughs> no, so yeah, Let's I'm describe kinda, it. I'm kind of gearing up to hopefully do another hour. Wow. How long does it take you to come up with it? Uh, it I really will only write stuff if I go on the road. Like, I have to be forced. So I get my material by being out. You don't, do you, are, are you a, are you a sit-down yeah. joke writer, or do you, like, no. kind of go up with some ideas and then... My stuff is all story-based. Like, uh, I guess you know, the equivalent now would be Kathy Griffin, kind of, although I don't talk about celebrities, but... Right. Like, I don't know, I grew up liking um, George Carlin and uh, Bill Cosby. Yeah. You know, and they kind of do character stuff and story stuff, and that's kind of my style. Yeah, I don't really. I I'm not good enough at writing jokes, and you have to remember them. That's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst part. I uh, yeah, I like that everyone kind of has a slightly different. Mm. You know, it's that's why it's always weird when you ask one person for, like, if one if you ask one person for comedy advice, and it's like, well, but I that's know. how that guy writes, and that's that's that guy's path, and some people are better with two line jokes, and other people have to write everything down, and other people don't write anything down. Like it just. You just gotta find. You just have to experiment. Yeah, would find your thing. And there's, there's. I, I think it's actually a great time to be in comedy in that uh, you've got great joke guys like Daniel Tosh or um, uh, uh, Jim uh, Gaffigan, Gaffigan, Anthony I mean, Jeselnik. Yeah, yeah, Anthony Jeselnik, yeah. who I just sort of came across, and Amy Schumer. I've, they've just come across my radar, and yeah. they're all yeah. very funny, very, very good comics. And uh, and then you've got you know Kathy Griffin, who just talks about her. Coffee, yeah. you know, whatever, <laughs> or you know, coffee with uh, Jane Fonda or whatever. And uh, I don't know. I like I like that. There's a variety of different. Yeah, you'll ways like to do it. Uh, you'll like this guy Tommy Jonigan. Uh, yeah. Oh, just, Tommy's great. He's a great, great comic. Like er, he he did a, have a weekly show, and last night he was on it, and like everybody was like, "Who was that guy?" Like, and it's just uh -huh. he's just telling, and every time he comes, all new stuff, and it always kills. That's just great. great rhythm, and just talking about very mundane like stuff he's going through with his wife and stuff. And it just kills. It just destroys. You would love it. Real story based. 
Excellent. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Are you still, is there any, uh, are, are, do you do any improv stuff on the side just for fun or is it pretty? I'll do a grounding show when I, when I can, when I'm in town, but I'm kind of, uh, it, it's sort of like school, uh, the school year now for me during, during like the school that what would normally be the school year of like August to March or April or something like that. I'll do TV stuff. I'll direct. I was working full time on Cougar Town, and now I kind of I'm going to do a bunch of different shows this time, right. and then uh, so I'll do TV in the in the that wi window, and then during this sort of spring summer break, I do stand. up That's pretty fucking sweet. Like TV directing, and then like on the off time, go do stand up. That's a that's a pretty great. I I, I cannot complain. Yeah. <laughs> that's a... How how is do you, is there any similarities is directing tv just a completely different animal or do you are you able to pull from all the different disciplines um the uh, with directing tv you can if you can provide punch up on set you know if 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 you have an idea for a funny line or whatever you can throw it out and um that's certainly what I do a lot on Cougar Town with and uh that's really fun and satisfying cuz you know a lot of, so much of tv writing being in the I don't know if you've ever worked in a on a sitcom or anything like that but the writing room is grueling because you write and you rewrite and you rewrite and all these jokes that you that you did they 90 percent of them just go away into yeah. the ether and what ends up on television is a group effort and it's not like it's the opposite of stand-up where like right. everything you write is what gets on the in the final product and you know immediately this is a very much longer tougher process whereas if you can if you're on set as a, a producer writer or a director you can say hey how about Courtney why don't you say this line and and if it works it makes it in and it's it's more like stand-up well also you're just kind of building off that idea that it's such a there's so many people involved in putting like doing making a sitcom together. It's it's those those like those rehearsals during the week where the network comes and then there's a great joke, but for whatever reason the actor who was reading it just like stumbled over a line and then the network's like, Yeah, it's get, dead. Get, get, it's yeah, dead. Yeah, you're like, well, no, wait a minute. We no, can do it again. Yeah, it's be fine. yeah you just you know, just that he just fucked that part up, yeah. but he could it's good. It's good. Yeah. Or, or like they, it is a great joke. The actor does it perfectly, and four days into it, having heard it four yeah. different times, the the network suddenly goes, I don't know, it just feels stale to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, you are are not uh, creative people, <laughs> and so you let the creative people just trust us to do what it is that we all do. Ain't gonna happen. Never. It's weird because I kind of view it like, um, although I will say, having now been through the process, uh, there are actually very many talented development people and network people uh, on all levels, funny people, all that stuff. But uh, I kind of view it a little bit like when I go to the dentist, if I said to my dentist, you know, okay, no, don't drill, don't drill that tooth, drill this one. <laughs> like, but wait a minute, I'm paying you for your expertise. Why yeah. wouldn't you let us do our thing? Yeah, well, I, I think also though because uh, you don't <laughs> you don't have to justify to the dentist why you're there. Right. <laughs> it's like a lot of, you know. I mean, I remember that sitcom I worked on with Karen Mariyama. It was uh, it, there was a studio and a network, and there were like five people from the studio mm -hmm. and five people from the network. And nobody nobody has the same idea. Everyone has the first of all uh, just company wise they both have different agendas. Mm -hmm. And then there are sub agendas with each one of the people who are all ha who all feel obligated to give notes so yeah. that they can justify why they're there. Yes, yes. And there and then you literally end up getting notes like why is that why is he wearing yellow? Like why why is this the thing that we're talking about? On my pilot that 
did not go. I don't know if you've never heard of my failed pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Never will. Um, There would be email chains between five vice presidents and 15 responses back and forth, back and forth about the belt of one character in one scene. It's just a lot of micromanaging. It is, and it's also... It's, well, belts are important. <laughs> it's also not hard to... Have an abortion. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> Better put on my abortion belt. <laughs> it's, uh, it's also not hard to see why so many people are kind of jumping ship from traditional media and going to work in new media where it's super nimble and there's no bureaucracy and you can just go, that's funny, just go do that. And you see, you know, and you're starting to see some of the... You know, some of the cable outlets like your FXs and AMCs and people like that that are like, you guys made this show, you know, here, Louis C.K., you know what you're doing. Just go fucking do it. That's that's a dream job. Dream job. I mean, obviously not another great. Another great comic. Not everyone could do it as beautifully as Louis does. But I think the lesson is still very important of, you know, like it because he had been through I, I don't even know how many development deals and sitcoms and where they all just got fucked up and noted to death and and they weren't really who he was and right. it's like this here this this, this is the this seems to be the purest expression of who 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 he is. Yeah, I think it's uh, great and um uh, I think the new media the new yeah, the new media thing is really attractive to people and and or the cable thing. I I mean I honestly think that probably the best writing that's happening right now is going on in television. It's mm. just uh films are Actually, I think more film people want to work in TV now, especially writers, yeah. because there's so many uh, um, little places to do it. I mean, it's, you're I know you're associated with Walking Dead, but like something like that. That's that. That's amazing that that's on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Five years yeah. ago, whatever, n- yeah. not a chance. But it's television still can move glacially in compare. You know, like the film development process could be two to ten years. <laughs> you know, TV could be. One to three, yeah, you know, but it still takes, you know, it's still, you still go, okay, well, even if I pitch a show tomorrow and even if they say, great, a year before like all the lawyers do their thing and then you go into development and you start writing it and then they have to approve stuff and then you, then they, maybe they pick it up and then you cat and it's like, it's a year from when they say yes before this even has a prayer of being seen by anybody. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild there but there you know what there's a lot of money i i think the problem is it's how much money they think they need to spend right it's kind of odd i think they feel like they have to spend if if it doesn't cost a lot of money i don't think they actually really like it no because they it, it's sort of the, the companies understand very large numbers and and those large numbers sound important to their advertisers we're investing, you know, millions of dollars in this thing, and it's almost like if they invest a hundred thousand dollars in something, whether or not it's just as good, it just doesn't sound like enough of a commitment. I, I was thinking about this with like, with uh, like internet startup companies, where you, you hear these stories of these startups are like, well, they, you know, they raised fifty-four million dollars, uh, and then they launched, and then within a week, the company was dead. Yeah. And I, and so my first reaction was always like, what idiots just don't spend that much money? And then I'm like, no, 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 no. That's a whole separate business. 
where those where people just start things up, they spend other people's money, and they walk away with a couple million dollars. And like, it's actually kind of genius when you think about it. Like, think of how many people you know that have just eight scripts in development that they got paid for that will never see the light of day. Yeah, it, that happens. It's I think it's another thing that's smart for that Louis Louis C.K. Um, did. He said no to more money because they said we want to put more money into this. But and he said, all right, great. I'm. I'm pretending to know exactly how this went sure. down, but this is what I've heard. Um, we want to put more money into this. We think it's you know good thing. He said, okay, great, but I'm not going to get more notes, am I? And they said, well, of course, it will be part of it. And he said, no, like <laughs> let's just keep it lean and mean, and I'll keep the autonomy, which uh, I think it was very smart. If 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 that's a true story, but let's pretend yeah. it is. I I'm like to think. It's it, a, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say I'm not. That 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 sounds. That sounds in line with the decision, the kinds of decisions that Louis makes, and I'm sure it's just, you know, just decades of just kind of being raked through the coals of the business, and then just finally realizing like, I don't need fifty million dollars. I just want to make something that I'm happy with and proud of, and I don't fucking. He just doesn't care. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't really care. And it's really good. I'm surprised he didn't get uh, the series didn't get nominated for best series. Oh, series. didn't? No, no. Didn't. he got nominated though, didn't he? He got nominated, and I believe. Did he get writing? writing? Okay. Girls got nominated. That's awesome. I mean, Louis, I, it sucks that the show didn't get nominated, but he's really the show. Yeah. If he's nominated in any in any category, you kind of go, all right. You know, he's, it's yeah. probably hard to give him everything. And not <laughs> just from the standpoint of those people going. Yeah. Yeah. And also, there there really is a lot of television on right now that's yeah. worth paying attention TV's, to. I think TV's really good. Yeah, right TV's great. It's kind of a it's kind of a golden age. I don't know I don't know how much of it's happening necessarily on the network side, but sort of like like you no, said, there's there's a lot of and but and I and I think and I'm not someone who thinks that uh, it should be all new media, no television. I, I still think television is the most powerful platform, without a doubt. Still the most powerful platform. But I do think that there are ways, I do think there are some philosophies that more television should adopt What's to... What's the least powerful platform? Mm-hmm. Um, Ham radio. Uh, I was going to say matchbooks. No, actually, ham radio is probably the most powerful because <laughs> if, every, if every other... If there's a massive failure of our communication infrastructure... The people with ham radios would actually probably be the the most powerful. I had Dry a massive board. thing. My iPhone is not, um, for some reason, giving me my email. I came. Did I come to the right place? Uh, someone over here used to be a Mac genius. Oh my it's gosh! True. Yeah. Um, I need to. I need just a couple hours of your time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt I will speak on behalf of Matt and tell you that he would be happy to donate as much time as you need. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm I'm older than all of you combined, but uh, <laughs> you look I great. Was, I was not. Um, I was not raised with the computer or even the. So I'm tech. I'm a technophobe a little bit. So a you little, did all your loan officering on paper. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. That is old. Type I was, I was excited when the facts came about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the thermal paper. Oh, the no, fucking you want a curled, straight paper. It just <laughs> it curls up. Yep. <laughs> that was such a, I mean. Such a convenience. It really was. <laughs> I mean, we. I, I remember the first time I saw a fax machine and thinking, society, we have really come a long way since the Marconi era. Like, this, <laughs> we've really done it. How is it going to? I remember seeing a. It can't get any better than this. I, I remember. And I remember. It hasn't, in my opinion. <laughs> Except you know, you see like those old, those old, maybe from like the '60s or the '70s, those old Bell Labs, like industrial 
videos where they're like, and someday in the future, everyone will get information. You're like, what? How did, what are you talking about? Yeah. And they were they were like 30 years ago. They they knew exactly where everything was going. Yeah, like yeah. Dick Tracy, that comic in the whatever 40s or 30s, like people talking into their watch with yep. a picture yeah. on it. And yep. that's pretty much. He saw the whole yeah. thing with uh, crime trending toward people with flat heads and big zoot suits too, yes. which which we all uh, which we all know. Um, is there any specific shows you want to promote besides the 31st at the Roxy? Uh, yeah, let's talk about um, the All-American Comedy Club in San Diego, which is this Friday and Saturday. The or I don't know when you, this will probably this will go up next week. Okay, so um, the so thanks for coming to the San Diego show. <laughs> so yeah, the, we had some awesome shows at the San Diego <laughs> All-American Comedy Show. Um, I've got uh, the Parlor, uh, which is in Bellevue, Washington, on uh, July 27th. 28th and 29th. Excellent. The Roxy in Los Angeles mm-hmm. on July 31st. And then the DC Improv, uh, that's Washington, DC. Yeah. On August 10th, 11th, and 12th. Excellent. Ooh. Thank you. And then your DVD, the, the, the first DVD, Model Citizen. Is uh, uh, Amazon.com, I'm sure. The interweb. The, is, the webs, I hear, is a good place too. Yes. Is there uh, just any sort of parting advice for people who are starting out with improv, just something that they should. Is there is there what's the sort of one piece of information that you think people should have like right before they go on stage or where they should be at? Uh, you mean for people who want to find out about improv or people who are improvising? People who are improvising, like what's a what's a good sort of you know if you forget everything else, just remember this one thing and you'll probably be okay. Uh, throw all your fears and worries into your scene partner. He's got he or she's got the answers. You'll be fine. <laughs> oh, that's good. That really is a fucking trust exercise and a half. Yeah. Do you guys? I, I remember back backstage before some of the shows, there were the uh, there was like some sort of like free association, like beach ball kind of There's a game. There's all kinds. Of, they're the Zip queerest games up. alive. I swear <laughs> to God, like I, I I'm a horrible. Like I hate to 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 warm up because it's all stuff that's like kind, it's basically one step away from camp. But everyone, yeah. it does already, feel like camp. Yeah, zip zaps up. I, I think I'm at this. That that that. Uh, yeah. and every, you just I catch myself in the mirror and yeah. cringe. Have you done? Uh, you should do set list sometime. I think you'd really love set list. It's a, it's basically an, uh, it's an improvised stand-up show where you go on stage. Oh, I would love something like and that. And they, yeah. and and they project topics in the background, but you, but you have to do it like it's your set. Yeah, you, it's, it's it's real specific stuff too. Is uh, created by Troy Conrad and uh, Paul Provenza, and it will just have something like uh, like Hitler birthday. And then I would like, love that. Or like I'd dwarf really shoes. My and balls then... are already tightening up. But I <laughs> Dude, no, it's like I haven't felt that nervous doing a show in a very long time. And then it's just so much fun. Yeah. And then so you kind of riff on whatever the thing is and you go, and then whenever you kind of turn around to look at the wall, that's their signal to project the next topic. Yeah. And then it could be a topic or it could be like a photograph or a painting. Uh-huh. Oh, and then that, that sort of kicks you off. And yeah. it, so the audience sees what you're seeing. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the when, audience. When you see it. You don't acknowledge that you're doing an improvised set, but right. the audience knows that you're doing an improvised yeah. set. And they see when. Okay. That, it kind of yeah. it kind of it falls apart a little bit when people are like, what, this is a suggestion? I'm doing my crazy. Like when the, when, that, yeah. when, when the when the person when the comic breaks the, you know, format like that, it, it's not as fun. But when, but when someone really is able to do it and make it flow, it's fucking, it's magical. Yeah, Matt that Kirshen. really fun. Matt, Matt Kirshen's amazing at it too. Best at it, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll we'll hook you up with those folks. All right. Sounds good. Um, but it's it's really great to see you. I mean, thank you. It's good I to see love you too. love love that we were able to get you on the show and um, and 
I'm glad that you're doing stand-up, and and now I'll uh, I'll get to come out and see you one of these. Please come do a show at our Meltdown space sometime. I don't even know what that is. We have a comedy theater at the back of Meltdown Comics. I don't even know what Meltdown Comics is. It's a comic book store uh, near oh, the... Oh, no wonder. Yeah, <laughs> Sunset and Gardener. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's oh, a, wait. Sunset... Oh, near the Guitar Center. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly yeah, yeah. what that is. It's a, I it's buy a, my heroin there. It's a good space. <laughs> you just said that on... I mean, now someone... Oh, no. Yeah. You can just edit it out. Well, a heroin is a guitar. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or just, yeah, drop out the word heroin so that the audience can fill in whatever that... I buy my... There. <laughs> I buy my oranges. Children. Children oranges. <laughs> I used to do this... Uh, do you know Do you know Andrea Savage? You know Andrea yeah, Savage? Yeah, I just saw her uh, yesterday, in fact. Very and, funny, beautiful girl. Amazing. And Andrea, Andrea and I dated ages ago. All right. But we have this bit that we used to do, and I've never been able to... I've never been able to sell it with anyone else, but I feel like you would be the guy that could make it work. All right. And it's a classic, it's a classic sitcom, like Three's Company style misunderstanding scene where someone asks you, where were you? And you're clearly lying. We each say something different. Then we each say the yeah. other person's thing. And then we combine them at the same time at the end to try to make it plausible. All right. So, uh, Jonah, ask, ask us where, where we just came from. Where were you guys? The pulling pet store. Taffy. The pulling pet taffy. Store. Pulling, pulling taffy at the pet store. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Makes me so Delightful. happy inside. Makes me so happy. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Michael McDonald, for being here. Uh, uh, Twitter, are you? Are you yes, at McDonald Comedy. At McDonald Comedy on the tweets. Uh, Michael McDonald, enjoy your burrito, everybody. Yeah. Ah, we did it. Thanks. That was great. Stopping oh, the you. thingy. Now leaving Nerdist.com. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one but two trials that ended in hung juries, and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law & Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.